Well, that's uh, one, it's one big enchilada this morning to digest. Very pivotal chapter in the book of Acts. And I'd like to talk with you about that. Very important part of the story that God is writing. Just to bring us up to speed, the church has grown. It's still very young. Inside, you know, probably just a little over 10 years now, it's facing a situation that could split the church. And the, the visual there probably doesn't do justice to the intensity of this conflict that arose in the early church. The setting was this, you know, when the, when the gospel came in the very beginning and that church exploded and grew up to 10, 15,000 people, it was almost all Jews. Very few Gentiles. And then the persecution came and the church was scattered all over Asia and what we began to see was we began to see Gentiles coming to faith in Christ. And so we, back in, if we, if we look back, we see that you know, we have this message that, that comes to the church and specifically to, to Peter. And we see that it's a very specific message for the church. The church is scattered. The Gentiles have now uh, seen the signs of the Spirit. They have seen the miracles just as the Gentiles did. Now, let me just, let's just press the... We're going to walk through the story here and I, I would like to just press the pause button on a couple spots. And this is one of those spots. We have to remember that thousands of years earlier, God had come to His people and He, he made a covenant with them. He said, here's my covenant. If you obey my laws, I'll give you my law. You obey my laws and I will bless you. You will be a blessed people. And when you sin, which you will, God made provision with sacrifice. And so people were to obey His law and then they were to regularly sacrifice for their sin. And as a sign, as a sign that they were under this covenant with God, they were to be circumcised. Every one of them was to be circumcised, and no exceptions. Exodus chapter 12. You can follow along here as I read. Listen to these words, Exodus 12, 48 and 49. It says, any alien, that means any non-Jew, living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover, must have all the males in his household circumcised, then he may take part like one who is born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native-born and to the alien who live among you. So, Jews understood very clearly. You did not enter into the covenant family without going through circumcision and, of course, following through on obedience to the law. So here are these Jews. They've gotten converted, but they've all been circumcised. And the circumcision has been going on for hundreds, thousands of years. And now we have the Gentiles who are coming to faith, and we have the whole issue of whether they need to be circumcised or not. And so what we find here is that the church sort of grasped this truth when Peter came, you remember earlier, and he had the vision, this miraculous vision, and all these signs, and came and said, look, you know, God did all this stuff. His Spirit came on the Gentiles. They, weren't, they believed. 
the Holy Spirit came, there were miracles, they weren't circumcised, and we baptized them. And so the church had, had, had come to grips with that, and yet there were still those thoughts and feelings in the church that remained. And now, it wasn't just a handful of people, now the Gentiles were growing in number, and large numbers of Gentiles were coming to faith. So what we find here is that the story in Acts 15 begins in Antioch, and then it's going to move back down to Jerusalem. Apparently, uh, Peter had been up in Antioch. He'd been fellowshipping with the Jews and the Gentiles. They'd been sharing meals together. By the way, sharing a meal together was, was a huge thing. You know, they didn't have bowling alleys and theaters and cable TV and... Uh, all of the stuff that we have today, you worked and you enjoyed the company of people around the meal. And, and that was a big, big part of, of life together for these people. And so we find here that you know, Peter had been fellowshipping with these, with these believers. And then a group came up from Jerusalem and they said, they, they were sharing, obviously, a fairly convincing case that, you know what? And, and maybe they even convinced Peter, you know what? You can be saved without being circumcised. But in order to be incorporated into the fellowship with the Jewish nation, you need to be circumcised. And it was such a good argument. We'll see it in a little bit, although we don't see it here in the book of Acts. But I'll show you that even Peter and Barnabas, at some point, were won over to the side of those who had come. And so we see here in, in Acts 15, verse 1, the problem is very clear. So men came down from Judea to Antioch, who were teaching the brothers, unless you're circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what they were teaching. It was very disturbing. Imagine someone came up to you and said, you know what? You, if you haven't been circumcised, or you haven't done this, or you haven't done that, you can't be saved. Well, obviously was creating significant problems. Verse 2, it says, This brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute. Not just dispute, but a sharp dispute and debate with them. This was intense. These guys were... These guys were uh, they were worked up about this. This was an intense discussion that, that went on. And so they realized the seriousness of the situation, so they put together a delegation and sent them down to Jerusalem. Now, let's just hit pause again. And I want to stop just for a moment. During this time, Paul is writing to the Galatians. And those are the Christians, if you remember a couple weeks ago, he had visited up in the city of Antioch and Iconium and Lystra and Derbe. That's the Galatia area. Well, during this time, Paul is, is writing a letter to them. And very interesting, he references this account, Galatians 2, 11 through 13. Listen to what he says. When Peter came to Antioch, this is Paul writing now, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy 
so that by their hypocrisy even Barnabas was led astray. Now you don't hear this in the book of Acts. Luke doesn't tell us this part of it, but evidently even Peter and Barnabas for a while entered into this kind of, of hypocrisy. And you know, this kind of tradition is very, very hard to change. You know, we've always done it that way. We've always done it that way. And so for a moment, Paul is the only one hanging on to this truth. And so he must have obviously sat down with Peter. We, well, you see, he opposed Peter to his face publicly and called him out on this and said, Peter, this is hypocritical. And so Paul won over, evidently, Barnabas and Peter. And we see here that they went down to Jerusalem. We don't have time to go into depth there, but there we see that Peter speaks, as you heard, on the, you know, he speaks very eloquently about this. Barnabas and Paul speak. And then James gets up. This is the half-brother of Jesus. You know, there was Peter, James, and John, and that James was killed, you remember, a few chapters earlier. Well, this is uh, Jesus' half-brother. They were, Jesus, we know, had three brothers, two sisters uh, from Mary. And so this was his half-brother. It's interesting that this was the guy that when it says Jesus rose from the dead, it said first he appeared to James and then the other twelve. So in the resurrection, Jesus singles out his half-brother James and goes to him. And evidently, that could have been the conversion point for James. And James becomes a leader in the Jerusalem church. And so we see here, James is the one that speaks up and shares what, they feel, what he feels they should share with these churches. So, huge issue, could have split the church. The leaders step up, they're all in agreement, and they convince the church. And this is a very, this is a very pivotal point in the history of, of the redemptive story here, as we'll see in a minute. One little twist, though. I don't know if this bothered you when you listened to it, but they're saying, okay, we're not going to require, we're not going to put this burden on them. However, we are going to require them uh, not to eat meat that has been sacrificed to idols or things that have been sacrificed to idols, not to drink blood, not to do strangled, uh, you know, not to eat meat from strangled animals and to avoid sexual morale. So, we, we see here that, you know, it's, it's like they're saying, okay, we're not going to put the, the Gentiles under the Jewish law. However, here are four things we're going to ask them to do. And so how do we make sense of that? I just want to take a couple minutes before we move into an application here and just explain this a little bit as to what's potentially going on here. We see that these four things, abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from meat, strangled animals, and sexual morality. That's the order that he gives them in the, in the account. Let me just say a word about each. Uh, abstain from food sacrificed to idols, specifically meat. What we have here, when this word offering is used, every time it's used in the Bible, nine times it's used, it's always about offering meat to idols and the demons that were behind them. And so in those days, they had pagan temples. They were like a community center. That's where people did their banking. That's where they had social events. That's where they had wedding receptions. That's where people went daily. That's where they went to worship. They had restaurants there. So get the picture of these pagan temples. They were kind of the central part of the community. 
And what went on here is that people would come and they'd sacrifice to idols and, and the demons behind them, and then they'd take the meat from the animals and they'd serve it up in the restaurant. So you could go in and have a, you know, have a pork sandwich. Uh, <coughs> obviously, if you were a Jew, that wouldn't go over too well. Uh, let's say, let me use a different, let's have a beef sandwich. And, uh, but as you sat down, you realized that half an hour earlier that this you know, meat that you were eating and maybe the people around you had just sacrificed the demons. And so, it relates to the idol worship. And in Romans 14, 1 Corinthians 8, Paul deals with this issue. And he says, you know what? Because there was an issue not only in the temple, but out in the market. Because you didn't know where the meat came from. Maybe it had been sacrificed to an idol. And so there was this big issue, you know, should you eat meat and so forth. And Paul says, you know what? Meat is meat. If you're out in the market, don't worry about it. If you're conscious, if you have a conscience about it, then that's okay. You know, Paul calls that a weak conscience in some people. He says, be sensitive to those that have a weaker conscience and thinks that this is something you can't do. However, he does say, you know, if you're going to go into the pagan temple and sit down and eat with these people, meat sacrifice the idol, you're going to start kind of relating and connecting with these people. Paul said that, that doesn't make sense. How can you have fellowship with these people when, when, they're, when they're walking in darkness? And so we find this, this is an issue. And here they ask the Gentiles to abstain from food that has been sacrificed to idols. You know, where they are obviously aware that this has happened. From blood, part of the ceremony in this worship of idolatry was to drink the blood of the animals that were sacrificed. So don't do that. Don't go in and order a blood drink. Okay? Sounds kind of strange, but that's what people did back then. Uh, strangled animals. The Jews were very conscious of not being cruel to animals. When they would sacrifice animals, you know, they would quickly slit their throat. The juggler veins very close to the surface, and the blood would quickly drain out. The animal would just lose consciousness and die. The idol worship, they would had a practice of strangulating animals, which was much more cruel, much more violent. And so, Paul says, don't eat meat of animals that have been strangled. They've obviously been used in idol worship. And then, fourthly, sexual morality. Sexual morality was very much tied with pagan worship. They had temple prostitutes. It was very common. And so, you see the picture here? These Gentiles had come out of pagan worship, and so the church says, look, two things. Number one is, you need to clearly make a statement that you've come out of that idol worship. Don't be doing all those things that people do when they worship in the you know, idols in the temple. Secondly, he says, you know, the law is preached all over, in all the synagogues, to all the Jews. And so these things are things that, are, that bother the Jews. They've been preached this all their life. And so Paul is arguing also from the terms of sensitivity to the Jews. We're going to ask you to do this so that there is not a hindrance to fellowship together. So, we get a picture here of, of what's going on. Well, <clears throat> Friday morning I woke up and I thought, you know, this is, very, this is a very interesting story. I thought, what, how does it apply to us? What can, we, what can we take away in 2011 from this story? Let me just mention a couple things in the last ten minutes here. <clears throat> Number one, I think, it's, I think we we can understand here much more deeply the redemptive story that's going on. Uh, God's plan to save us. As you look at your world, the world is like a drama. 
And if you ever sat in a movie when you don't know what's going on, it's very confusing. This story is, is very helpful in understanding what's going on in your world. It's a very significant point in history because at this point in history, God's primary focus uh, in, in reaching people and the responses we see are going to turn from the Jewish race, race to the Gentile race. This is the last time you will ever hear from Peter. He has made his last appearance. Peter, as he worked with the Jewish church in Jerusalem, the Jerusalem church, the only thing you'll hear about it is when Paul goes back to Jerusalem and he runs from his life in Jerusalem. And so the focus now that you are going to hear about is predominantly the Gentile church. We, we see in Romans 9, and let me just read that for you, Romans 9, 30 to 32. You can follow along. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith? But Israel who pursued a law of righteousness has not attained it? Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as it were, by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. And then chapter 11, verse 25, this verse. I do not want you to be ignorant of this mystery. Brothers, so that you may not be conceited. Israel has experienced a hardening in part until the full number of Gentiles has come in. That's what's going on. Why don't the Jews respond to the Gospel? Very few Jews, by the way, believe Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, there's, there are some that do. Because they have, an exper they have experienced a hardening until the full measure of Gentiles comes in, at which time you will see a revival among the Jewish people that has, is unparalleled in the history of the world. There will come a time when, when the Jewish people will come to Christ by the thousands. And so, what we see here in this text, chapter 15, is very pivotal. We see the shift of God's redemptive work, all before this being focused on the Jewish people, and now as God had prophesied to all nations all nations, and Paul's predominant ministry will be to them. This is the mystery. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians. Ephesians 2, 4-6. Listen to what he says about this, this mystery. He says, But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy... Or excuse me, <coughs> chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 4-6. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has been made known to man, not been made known to man in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit of God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the Gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body. And so as we walk through the book of Acts here, we see very clearly what's, what God is doing in this redemptive story. And so it, this passage gives us understanding into what God is doing in the world and it, you know, we should be living with an excitement about what's happening. I mean, what's happening in Egypt? What's happening in Libya? This is, this is not just you know, random history. This is God working out His redemptive story. This is going somewhere. And so we should live in this anticipation that, that God has opened to us the mystery 
that, that we know that history is heading to an ultimate climax and that we are part of that. That should be something that, that really excites us as, as we live out our lives. And the second question is, you know, what part am I playing in this drama? I remember when I was in high school, every year we got the yearbook. Remember? You got the yearbooks, remember that? It came out? Maybe some of you served on one of those yearbook teams that put them together. What's the first thing you did when you got the yearbook? You opened it up and see where, who, who put, if somebody put a picture of you in the lunchroom or student council or how you looked on this picture, and you know, you look for where you're involved in the story. When the book is closed and the end of time and the book is read, what will be your, you know, what will be your place in the redemptive story? You know, what storyline will you carry? What, what, what part will you have played? It was John Piper who wrote the book, Don't Waste Your Life. And so, God has a role for us to play and to, to seek, you know, part of what we're doing with this engagement uh, team that we have is, is trying to help us find how God has made us and wired us and where we, where we best fit and, and the role that we play here. So, I, I just think it, it brings a level of excitement as we understand what God is doing in redemptive history and that we have a part in that. And then lastly, I think we see the difficulty here in living, living in God's grace. Living in God's grace. We have this natural inclination to need to achieve and to need to deserve and to be worthy of things that we're given. We like plaques, we like trophies, we like awards. Things that say we're adequate, that we've done something well. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But the problem, you know, it's like if you went to a track meet and the shot put ring was 30 feet out where it started, and you go, I can achieve that. You're starting the high jump at six feet, and you, and you know, some people could achieve that. And you know, they've got the the long jump pit starts at 23 feet. Well, somebody can still make that. But if they set the pole vault at 40 feet, people are going, nobody can do that. Nobody's going to get a trophy for winning that one. And the problem is, is that though we can achieve things in our lives, there's one area that's beyond us, that's beyond all of us. And that is our righteousness before God. We fall short. Uh, in, in Romans, you find these words, chapter 3, verse 10. He says, there is no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, who seeks after God. All have turned away. They've all together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And so religion is man's attempt to try and be good enough. It's all about that. And, and as we know, Christianity is about God's work on our behalf. But we struggle in, in accepting that. We struggle in living by this grace. And this is a problem in the church. You know, it wasn't just about Jesus. You had to do this and you had to do this or other things that you, you had to do. And so, in Galatians, as Paul writes, in the midst of this very conflict, and in chapter 2, we, we read these words in, uh, in, in verse 20, the last half. Paul says, The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. I do not set aside 
the grace of God. That was Paul's theme in this in Acts 15. And when Paul got up, he was saying, look guys, we're not going to set aside the grace of God here. We're not going to start adding other things to this. And that is an issue that they struggled with. That is an issue that you and I struggle with as well. Let me just conclude. Here's five little things. And maybe you want to think about these things this week. But it might give you an indication that you've set aside the grace of God. Number one, you've lost your rest. You've lost your rest. You find yourself being driven. Grace is very restful. When, you, when you're living in grace, there's a rest in your soul and in your spirit. Uh, have you lost your gratitude? You find yourself not thankful. You don't. You've lost touch with well, how helpless and hopeless you were and how incredibly rich God has made you through His grace. When we lose touch with that, we, we become thankless in our lives. Uh, we lose our sense of God's love. We no longer wake up in the morning and feel like God delights in us as His people. We don't live in that sense there's nothing we can do to, to get more of His love for us. Uh, if you've lost your awareness of your relationship with Christ, you know, if now life is about all kinds of things. It's about work. It's about this. It could be about ministry. It could be about reading your Bible. It could be about uh, praying more. It could be about all this stuff, but you've lost the wonder and the joy that you are in relationship with, with a God who has created this world, that you are in relationship with Christ. It's not about a lifestyle. This is about a relationship. You lose touch with that. And lastly, if you've lost your heart for lost people, if you've lost your heart for lost people, if you're not so excited you know, about what you have, if you're not very excited about what you have, then you're not very excited about sharing it. And so, or we become like the Jews, you know, who somehow think that they deserve it more than others. Well, time's up this morning. But I would challenge you uh, in your own life with these words from Paul. Maybe this is something that you need to memorize. And uh, maybe this is something you need to say every morning when you get up. Or maybe you just need to say to yourself, I will not today set aside the grace of God in my life. Father, I thank you for this your word to us today. Lord, you have made us wealthy and rich through your Son. Father, the things that we have cannot even be measured in dollars and cents. Father, our net worth is so great because of your Son, the inheritance that we look forward to, that we cannot even put it in dollars and cents. The things that you've given us are priceless. And Lord, it's only by your grace, it's only by your mercy, it's only by your goodness. And Lord, as you invited that early church to, to live in that grace and to trust solely in Christ, so today, Lord, just remind us of the wonder of being your people and the wonder of your grace. Father, show us when things intrude 
upon our living out our lives in just the beauty of, of your grace. And so, Father, we, uh, we pray that as we just take this moment and reflect, as we share this offering, Lord, we pray that you would just uh, use it for your glory. Father, as we listen to the, just the words of this song on this, uh, on this video, Father, as we receive the offering, might we just reflect on uh, the wonder of what you've done in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll receive our offering as we... I invite you just to look at the screen. I'm going to go to my backup, which is my wife. you to stand as we're dismissed. Uh, following our service, we will have our refreshments. We're going through uh, a video series, When God's People Pray, and uh, you're all welcome to join us in, uh, for that, following the service. I leave you with these words from uh, the words of Paul in Galatians, and it's a great way to live our lives. Uh, the life we now live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us 
and who gave himself for us. Amen.
connection over to here from the office. Video all set, ready to go. You're playing it on the internet, on the YouTube, and it was all set, ready to go. But we lost the connection, and it's no longer I'm ready. Know about it.